if you are successful in the work that you are doing, what will environmental justice communities look like 30 years from now? Well, we'll no longer need the theme moving vulnerable communities from surviving to thriving. Those communities will be thriving. They'll be fully engaged in all the various processes that are necessary for you to be in a healthy and sustainable community. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancox and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. I am Mike Hancox, and my co-host is Vernice Miller-Travis. Vernice, welcome back from vacation. Thank you, Mike. Thank you all. Bernice, Mustafa Ali and Carlton Ely from the U.S. EPA Office of Environmental Justice were our guests back on episode number five, which I'm sure you'll recall. And we had a great conversation about environmental justice and smart growth. It was really a great, great conversation with two very smart and thoughtful people. And I would encourage our listeners to go back and listen to it when they get a chance. But we are very excited to have Mustafa back with us again. So today's guest, as Mike said, is Mustafa Ali, Special Advisor for Environmental Justice and Community Revitalization to EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy. And he also serves as the Associate Assistant Administrator for Environmental Justice and Community Revitalization at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And he's here today to kick off a series of podcasts we are doing in conjunction with the 2016 National Funding and Resources Training Summit to Revitalize Vulnerable Communities. Mustafa, welcome back. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So, Mustafa, let's let's start off with what is the purpose and, and the intent of the upcoming 2016 National Funding and Resources Training Summit to revitalize vulnerable communities? Well, you know, it's it's pretty simple. It's actually just a few words is what the real meaning, the foundation, and goal and vision for this is, and that's moving vulnerable communities from surviving to thriving, which is really grounded in the environmental justice movement, the social justice movement, civil rights, sort of the uh, economic justice movement, all those various movements are all pointing in a similar direction. And it's about strengthening and revitalizing communities, giving voice to the visions and the opportunities that exist in our most vulnerable communities and being laser focused on them to help to make change happen inside of those communities. And that change can only happen if we are focusing on and honoring the voice of communities and what they are asking for. Um, And that is what this is all about, is about helping those communities to move from surviving to thriving. So the summit will take place October 25th and 26th in Washington? It's going to be in Crystal City, Virginia. So for those of you who are familiar with the Washington, D.C. area, it's just right across the bridge, literally just a couple of minutes from Washington, D.C. It's going to be at the Crystal City Marriott there in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, We call it Crystal City, Virginia. And who is the primary audience? Who's the intended attendee of this summit? 
Yes. Well, I think one of the things that makes this particular summit unique is that we, again, are being laser focused on those whom we are focusing on and trying to be supportive and help. So that is when we say vulnerable communities, we're talking about low income communities. We're talking about communities of color and we're talking about tribal populations. And those are the folks that we are currently focusing on um, to help them to be able to revitalize and address issues that are happening inside of their communities. And if folks want to learn more about the summit and potentially register, where, where would they go? You can go to the website, which is survivingtothrivingsummit.org, O-R-G. Okay, and we'll, we'll repeat that later in the show for folks. And Mustafa, is the intention that this will be, since the 2016 National Summit, do you intend to do this annually? Well, that would definitely be an aspirational goal. The reality is because we are focused on vulnerable communities, and I've been doing this work for a number of years now, we know that there are going to be a set of preconceived notions about why we're doing this and what will actually come out of it. So we're, one, going to make sure that this is successful. And the reason that I'm very confident that this will be successful is because there is a coalition of individuals who are actually helping to pull this together. So we have foundations who are partners in this space. We also have federal family members, a number of the federal agencies and departments who are also. We have academic institutions, both four-year institutions and also community colleges. We have grassroots organizations. We have community-based organizations. We have business and industry. And we have a number of others also who are a part of this coalition who's helping to pull this together. And let me just share one other thing that I think is extremely important. This came out of probably about 75 different conversations with leaders across the country and asking them, where are some of the areas that we still have gaps uh, and what do we need to do in this space to help you to be in a better position to be able to actually make substantive change inside of your communities? So that's where this came from. Again, this comes out of the work that many of us do uh, under equal development and environmental justice where communities speak for themselves. And I think that if more folks would actually listen to what communities are asking for, that they could be creating uh, better opportunities and better products that actually meet the needs of communities. So with that being said, once this is successful, we are definitely looking for partners to be able to take this uh, on to the next year, but not just in a national sense of having a singular event. What we're hoping to accomplish is that folks will be able to take this and begin to do smaller regional events that will be able to actually meet the needs of folks on the ground, even in a much more substantive way. So there's two things that are happening. One, yes, we do hope that there will be a a follow-up national type of event, but even more importantly, those smaller regional events that will help to be able to reach even more folks. And we've built some other components into what we plan on doing during the summit to actually be able to engage an even broader audience. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that. So, Mustafa, would you say that this is a culminating event for this administration to lift up the many resources it has developed to support the revitalization of vulnerable communities, especially those facing environmental challenges? Oh, definitely. Without a doubt. It's interesting. Again, I've been doing this for a while now, and I'm always amazed that I'll be in different locations or working with different agencies or foundations, and folks will share with me a new set of resources, technical assistance 
there's various different types of things that are going on that I didn't know about. And if I am blessed to have the opportunity to actually be able to engage with lots of these different types of folks on a, on a fairly regular basis, I know that it's even more challenging for folks around the country to know where these various resources are or the best practices of how they've been utilized to make real positive change inside of communities. So I'm very thankful to the administration that we currently have, who's being very supportive in the development of those. Also hearing the voices of stakeholders across the country and, and listening to them and creating these various types of opportunities. So what would you say in your experience, and I, I would imagine that since you are one of the main drivers of this, this resource summit, that part of your experience is what has led you to think that this kind of summit is important. What do you, would you say are the biggest unmet needs that vulnerable communities and those living with environmental burdens still face? Well, as, as we all know, they're numerous. But one of the reasons we're doing this summit is because folks are still having some difficulty uh, in having an understanding of the, of the array of various types of resources that the federal family has. So we're taking a look and sort of culminating those various types of community-based resources that exist. We are linking those to best practices of how positive change is happening, but we are also want to have a substantive conversation, something I call real talk, about where the challenges still exist for folks and the gaps that exist in that process. And we want to be able to take that information back to those who are creating funding opportunities and resource opportunities so that when they're moving forward and creating these types of opportunities, that vulnerable communities are first and foremost in their minds. And I believe that that will then give an opportunity for there to be a stronger process that will actually be more reflective of the needs that exist So you've worked in EPA's headquarters office of environmental justice for more than 20 years. What substantive change in the agency's approach to working with environmental justice and vulnerable communities have you observed over time? It's been an evolution, to state it lightly. In the early days, I think that there were many who just really didn't have an idea of how to properly engage with folks, and that was reflective in the activities, policies, and programs that were being developed at that time. I think because of the engagement with stakeholders, in many instances because stakeholders were pushing the agency, that that process has gotten much better, but there is still work that needs to happen, and folks still need to make sure that the activities and and programs and policies that are being developed are reflective of what folks are asking for and what's really happening on the ground. I would also say that not just the Environmental Protection Agency, but there is, a, you know, there is some progress that is happening with the other federal family members as well. So I, when the administrator is not available, I chair the Interagency Working Group for Environmental Justice. And it allows us to have a holistic way of looking at and addressing the needs inside of communities. And the summit is very similar in that because, Vernice, as you know, that the challenges that many vulnerable communities face are not singular, that there needs to be a holistic way of addressing those issues, of bringing a number of different types of stakeholders together to be able to make that change. And that's what the summit is also trying to be a very positive force in, by allowing those in philanthropy to help folks to have an understanding of their focused areas and the best way to engage with them. 
With the federal family, the exact same thing. And even with business and industry, which itself has resources, helping them to have a better understanding of what's happening inside of vulnerable communities and where possible, building those relationships, building those bridges, building those opportunities for positive change to happen. Mustafa, you've mentioned the philanthropy community. What kind of response are you getting from the business community? Uh, Actually, we are getting a fairly positive one. And I think that's because we have a mix of different types of individuals. We have some business and industry who have been engaging with vulnerable communities for decades. And in the early days of their uh, engagement with them, there were lots of challenges that existed in that space and probably not as much progress as many folks would have liked. But for those who have been able to really take a step back and say, we really want to be a better partner with communities, especially vulnerable communities, then those are folks who we definitely are very interested in hearing and sharing what they've learned and the sort of the directions that they're going. Now, we also have business and industries who are very much focused on the climate economy and are already uh, have good relationships with a number of those communities. Those who are focusing on wind and solar and, and so many of the other renewable energies types of activities that are out there, along with other types of business and industry. And many of those, as we know, when we start talking about solar and wind, there's been a huge explosion in growth in, in that particular sector of the economy. But when we talk about communities of color, we know that there is a tiny percentage of individuals who've been able to start their own business in that space or to even be employed in that space. So the summit will also focus on that as well. And we'll have individuals, both African-American, Latino, Native American, who have been able to start their own small businesses and medium-sized businesses in this space. And they'll be talking about, you know, not only why they started their business, but how they see it being a benefit to communities and the opportunities that exist as well. So, Mustafa, it seems as though through everything you've shared now and work that you've been doing to build a closer bridge and partnership between the work of the Office of Sustainable Communities and the Office of Environmental Justice, that the notion of community revitalization has become a focal point of EPA's environmental justice efforts. Is that your view as well? It's definitely growing. And as I share, not only with folks inside of this agency, folks in the other federal family, the White House, uh, and across the country, if we are not focused on revitalizing communities, then they're just going to continue to be attractive to the other types of industries that may not be, have those communities' best interests at heart. So through revitalizing communities, through helping them to be more sustainable, giving them the opportunities to create their own small businesses, to be able to attract the right types of things inside of their community that really creates a strong foundation underneath of them, we, when we do that, we create an opportunity for public health to improve for economic drivers and, and other types of things to be more, you know, to be a stronger underpinning inside of communities. So I don't believe that we can ever make the types of changes that I know so many people want to in the environmental realm if we're not also giving equal thought to how that plays into an overall revitalization strategy. So I see a lot of effort, this summit being one of them, and then the recently released Environmental Justice 2020 Action Agenda as sort of markers for 
what the agency has accomplished, what the federal family has accomplished in addressing environmental justice and what its vision is going forward. Could you say a little bit more about that document, Mustafa? It, it, it seems like it's a, it's a contribution to the legacy or documenting the legacy of the progress on environmental justice at EPA. Yes, it, it's really a blessing for us to be able to work on EJ 2020. EJ 2020 is actually the next sort of iteration of Plan EJ 2014 that came out a few years ago that began the journey of making sure that environmental justice was integrated into all the various work that happens inside of the agency, whether you're talking about policy work, permitting work, our science-based work, our community-based work, so many things. And EJ 2020 takes that to another level. We've had a huge amount of uh, engagement with stakeholders in the design and development of that. And this will just take things to another level in a very, very positive way because we've had significant amounts of engagement with the states, which are very important in this conversation, with local governments, with business and industry. Our grassroots brothers and sisters have played a a strong role also in sharing the issues that they feel we should be working on and focused on, along with academics and so many other folks. So EJ2020 just takes the integration to another level, but also begins to focus on some of the things that need to be happening more on the ground around our community-based work, around our revitalization work, and some of the various science issues that are also a part of our work. So EJ2020 is definitely one of those, those hallmark moments, if you will, where I think people will look back 10, 15 years from now and say that was pivotal uh, and that really helped to institutionalize the positive change that folks are asking for. And for our listeners, let me just share that two of the items that are identified in this document are two goals. One is to eliminate elevated childhood lead poisoning and to make sure that every community, every person has access to safe drinking water which are just two extraordinary goals and objectives. Many say that should have been our goal all along, but when you put it down on paper and when you articulate it and you say that that's what you're going to do, then I think it really focuses our energy and effort maybe in a way that we haven't been focused heretofore. Was that part of the intent of lifting up, eliminating childhood lead poisoning and ensuring that everyone had safe drinking water? Was that part of your intent? Oh, yes. Definitely. I mean, as we know, it's in the news every day. It's an area that needs to be focused on and is being focused on. And uh, this is just another opportunity for us to, you know, really think about all the various components that are necessary for us to make this change um, that is, you know, happening right now. Does the National Funding and Resources Training Summit to Revitalize Vulnerable Communities, how does that relate to EJ2020? Well, you know, EJ2020 has a a focus on community-based work and the federal family, if you will. So both of those come together very nicely in relationship to the summit and will be a part of uh, EJ2020 moving forward. So it just gives us that opportunity to get various types of, uh, you know, partners together to be able to think critically about how we can be best supportive of the change that communities are asking for. So let, let's give our listeners uh, the information again. If they want to learn more about the summit, where do they go? They go to www.survivingtothrivingsummit.org. I'll say that again, 
S-U-R-V-I-V-I-N-G-T-O-T-H-R-I-V-I-N-G-S-U-M-M-I-T dot O-R-G. Great. Fantastic. So Mustafa, if I, if I was sitting down with you on October you know, 28th, right after the summit, and you were to tell me that the summit was a huge success, what would you be telling me about? What, what would you like to see happen that to you would be a measure of the success of the summit? Oh, well, one, that the folks who are in vulnerable communities, one, felt like it was a good investment of their time. That's one. The second part would be that when they were going back to their respective communities, they felt that they had something of value to be able to share with them. And then I think that the third part, probably two other points, one would be that if we took a look back, let's say a year or two years from now, that we began to see additional seeds that were planted around the country and that we began to see more projects having success like the Regenesis Project in Spartanburg, South Carolina, or the Ivanhoe community in Kansas City, which is doing some incredible work, or the work that's happening in Bayview, Virginia, those types of things, or the work of the Environmental Health Coalition in San Diego that Diane Tagvorian and others lead, where there's real change that's happening inside of those communities, where they're empowered and that they have a number of collaborative partners who are being supportive of their vision and and where they're trying to take their communities or a number of the work that's happening in green zones around the country, that there's more support for that, more understanding, and that real change is actually happening inside of communities. And then, of course, the fourth point would be that if folks see real value in the summit, that then there would be those regional summits that would be happening that are helping folks to stay connected, that there is a central point for folks to come when they're having a conversation about vulnerable communities and the opportunities and change that not only can happen, that is happening. And that that hopefully will help folks to also understand when they're moving forward with the creation of policies, programs, and activities, that vulnerable communities should be first and foremost in their thoughts, and that those respective activities, programs, and policies should be supportive and should be making positive change and and should not be uh, a detriment when implemented. Fantastic. So, Mustafa, our next three questions are what we call the lightning round. I'm going to ask, we are going to ask you a quick question, and we want you to answer back with the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. So the first question is, if you could implement one change or pick one leverage point that would lead to smarter, more sustainable, more equitable, and less vulnerable communities, what would it be? It would be that communities, especially vulnerable communities, actually are the drivers and the influencers in the development of that. Um, and, and I think that that would change the dynamic of how many folks are doing business and the results that come out of that. So, Mustafa, for, for our average listener, what one action could they take to be supportive of the goals of the summit? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> that, that it's actually pretty easy for me because I have reoccurring themes. For folks who want to be supportive of the goals of the summit is if you are not currently working in authentic partnerships with vulnerable communities, with those organizations and networks, then reach out. You don't have to wait for them to reach out to you. Begin to learn those issues that they are focusing on, but also the opportunities and and the vision that they have 
and start to think about how your respective organization, agency, department, whatever it might be, business, can be supportive of that. You know, Mustafa, I'd, I'd love to have you come back on a do a future show to talk about authentic partnership. I think that's a challenge for a lot of folks who well-meaning folks who, particularly when it's an issue of crossing lines of race, have a real struggle understanding how to do that authentically. So I think that would be a great topic. Yes, I'd love to do that. So the last question is, if you are successful in the work that you are doing, what will environmental justice communities look like 30 years from now? Well, we'll no longer need the theme moving vulnerable communities from surviving to thriving. Those communities will be thriving. They'll be fully engaged in all the various processes that are necessary for you to be in a healthy and sustainable community. And the beauty of that would be that then we can move even to an international level and begin to share those successful examples with others who may be facing similar types of situations outside of our country. So for me, 30 years from now, I would love for us not to have communities that are just now surviving, but we would have communities that are definitely thriving. Well, Mustafa, thank you so very much for making the time to talk to us today. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to you joining us next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.